Welcome to Sunday Chats 969, the podcast where you can listen back to interviews that were first broadcast on All FM 96.9. We are an award-winning community radio station based in Manchester, UK. And on today's episode, we are in conversation with the multi-genre audio producer and actor, Jack Bowman. And we are chatting to him about London After Midnight, the silent movie that was lost... And he has quite literally, for Halloween 2023, brought this drama back to life, back from the dead, and transformed it into an amazing audio movie experience. Welcome back to the Sunday Tea Show right here on 96.9 All FM on your radio, allfm.org, wherever you are in the world, online. Joined by me, Ruth O'Reilly. Delighted to be keeping you company. Well, coming up on today's show, we are chatting to audio producer extraordinaire Jack Bowman. He is the founder of Audio Marvels, a production company that specialises in making outstanding audio movies and podcasts. So today, ahead of Halloween, we are chatting to him about his latest spectacular drama, London After Midnight. Now, London After Midnight is a full cast audio drama, and it's actually resurrecting a lost silent movie classic that was originally directed by Todd Browning. So this was released in 1927, and the film was lost in the notorious 1965 MGM Vaults Fire. So it's great that Jack has resurrected this. So we'll be playing some trailers, some little clips, as well as my interview with Jack and some of his favourite music as well. don't feel it, do you? Feel what? The air of disquiet. Like we're being watched. Audio Marvels, Pocket Universe Productions, and Monkey Basket Entertainment present... Lucy, this is... Edward Burke, Mom, Scotland Yard. Art Malik, in a full-cast audio production of... Looks like an undertaker. It's that damned beaver hat. I've never seen him without it. London After Midnight. <laughs> you, you get out of here! <laughs> Damn you! Please, try not to scream. Visit www.audiomarvels.com for more information. One way or another, this comes to an end. Tonight. Hi Jack, welcome to All FM. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, thank you, Ruth, for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Oh, it's really good to speak to you. We've got you on the show today ahead of Halloween, to celebrate your latest audio movie drama, London After Midnight, featuring Art Malik, uh, amongst others. And you are actually the the proud founder of Audio Marvels, which does specialise in in producing their their highest quality drama. So do you want to tell us a, a little bit, first of all, about how you became so passionate about this way of working? I, I kind of fell into it by complete accident. And uh, growing up as a kid, 
uh, with cassettes, if you remember those. Oh, yes. Um, and, and vinyls uh, and radio. I was introduced to a lot of uh, audio dramas and radio dramas back in the day, things like Journey into Space, uh, which was the last BBC radio serial to have bigger viewing figures of television. Mm. Uh, Jeff Wayne's War of Worlds. Um, there was some, you know, a big, big science fiction fan. So, you know, grew up with Doctor Who, and there'd been a lot of Doctor Who audios, uh, radio dramas made in the in, back in the day, in the eighties and nineties. So, radio drama had sort of been part of my background, but not necessarily part of my life or career until oh, wow. a lot later, when I, I originally started out as an actor in two thousand. Okay. Uh, then, uh, after a few years, I wrote my first play, which got performed at the Eccentra Theatre, a very notable uh, fringe venue in London. And around that time, um, my day job was actually working as a, what they call a scare actor at the London Dungeon. And there was a lot of us feeling very creatively unfulfilled. Oh, okay. So is um, that like where you need to pop out at, at various points in like a, a mystery train or something? <laughs> Yes, basically. Okay. Go, Why? Scary, scary. <laughs> um, so you know, it, it was one of the, it was one of the best jobs we had. You know, creatively, people like Matt Berry were working there at the time, and there was another actor, Mario Ronica Temple, who was a massive, massive radio fan. Um, and she just had this idea. She came to me. She saw the play I'd written, and said, "You know, would you be up for turning this into a, a radio play we put on the internet?" Okay. And I went, okay, cool. That sounds like a fun thing to do, which we did. And uh, basically, we preempted uh, the iPod by about six months, and that that was the beginning of it because we put that play out there, and like thousands of people downloaded it. Oh, so wow. it was like. Oh, okay, this is cool. And then that began the process of keeping me busy. So for the next few years, I was splitting half my time between like um, creating pieces for theatre and creating pieces for audio. And I sort of gravitated out of acting into writing. That led to me directing. And directing led to me producing and show running. So it was just like a natural centre of gravity. And come around 2016... I sort of made the decision whether, you know, spending the time between theatre, which was very, very long hours, and audio, which is very quick and fun. Mm. And, you know, we were trying for a family as well at the same time. So I made the decision to, to leave theatre behind. I just, as I did, some extraordinary things started to happen and audio really began to take off with people like uh, Audible and then a couple of years later with North America. And it's just been, it's been bonkers ever since. Wow, it sounds like as if you got into all this at exactly the right time, because obviously since the pandemic, podcasting had been around a long, long time, but it's really um, gone through a bit of a, a revival since the, the pandemic phase of time. And I think people actually embrace this format a, a lot more again now than they previously did. I know, it's, it's amazing. America has invented audio drama, if you want. And, um, yeah. Uh, and, you know, it's like it, it was 14 years of sort of making this content and like nobody really getting it or understanding it. Sure. And even then, like 
about two years pre-pandemic, you know, the US and, and Canada massively got on board with uh, podcasting and um, and audio drama and stuff like that. And, change, and literally, as they say, they changed the market. So, you know, it's it's become something far bigger now. But I'm, I'm not going to lie, it was 14 years of like feeling like nobody cared <laughs> and, and the last five six years has been like everyone wants a slice of it now and it's yeah. great it keeps it keeps you busy and keeps me off the streets now <laughs> well it's it's great dedication and like one of the the quotes that i i came across in relation to you is jack has done it all at, at every level um and and i love that because it means that you've got a very firm foundation in in what you're you're doing now and i guess that's why you you can create this this audio at, at such um a high level um but um it seems to me from what you're saying about being a scare actor that um, you've always gravitated towards the, the horror genre, the, the scaring people. <laughs> I, I say it's a reverse. Horror seems to gravitate towards okay. me. Um, generally true because, like you know, talk about the fact that you know a lot of the audio I do is horror based, mm. but it is like many, like in many other media, it is one of the most popular genres. You know, an effective horror story works no matter what. It's quite commercial, so a lot of the time people are looking for a producer director. They, you know. They ask me, they ask other directors, and you can guarantee about 50% of what you receive will be a horror project. Right. Um, so, and that, it's just the, you know, it's, it's a wonderful genre to work in, and uh, I, I love I love doing horror. But I also love mixing out because I've done children's recently for Moonbug Entertainment. I've done um, uh, a couple of historicals uh, based on... Um, you know, one based on a historical text, The Diaries of Stefan Spike, forthcoming adaptation of Mrs. Dalloway coming out, and an audio sitcom pilot via uh, the content is Queen Bursary, uh, which is very, very modern, very funny, and hopefully a comic book adap- adaptation up ahead. So I, I, I do genre hop a lot, okay. but, I can al- but I can almost guarantee 50% of what comes my way is horror and you're looking at those projects and the question is is it going to be a good horror is this a good one <laughs> yeah well well i have heard that you have been coined the the steven spielberg of audio now so you're obviously um doing something right along the way but um yeah i just want to talk about london after midnight because like many of the listeners may not be aware that this was originally a 1927 silent movie that was then destroyed in the 1965 MGM fire. So there's actually a lot of intrigue surrounding this play in in reality, so to speak, isn't there? Mm, There is. I mean, when I found out it was out of copyright, I literally latched onto it. I'm going to say this a lot when people ask the question, why London after midnight? I am the first person who buys a ticket to BFI to go see someone who has animated a missing episode of Doctor Who. I'm the first person to try and, um, you know, chug along and see, um, you know, a... You know, once a year they have a thing called Missing Believed Wiped where they're finding, like, you know, lost archive material that's all presented for the first time in, in 60 years. And there is an extraordinary myth around things that are missing that you can't enjoy and experience. 
because they're not there. Right. You know, I would love, I would love to see the Tenth Planet episode four, William Hartnell's last Doctor Who serial. So you know, when London After Midnight came around, I thought, oh, that's cool. And my initial thought process went, you know, that film is iconic. Lon Chaney's you know, look, the man in the beaver hat is mm. still, still with us today in films like Babadook and The Black Phone. Yeah. Uh, very, very modern horror pieces allude back to London After Midnight. And I thought, that's cool. Someone could remake that now. And as I lay there, I thought about it. It was like, should we do a silent horror movie with no, next to no existing visual material as a forecast audio drama? And the more I thought about the insanity of the idea, <laughs> I thought, why not? Oh, why wow. not? Because that, that, that's what we do with the Audio Marvels label. We take big swings and we sort of, we're not about reinventing the wheel, mm, uh, but what yet. we are is like using audio to surprise you in ways that you didn't think possible. So when we said, okay, let's remake a silent horror movie mm. as a full-class dialogue, <laughs> sound effects-based Dolby Atmos audio movie, um, so it's one of my cast called it Mad Genius. I had other phrases for it, on the similar bits, and I was in the broadcast, but we, we, we gave it a whirl, and when that script came in, it was fantastic, and I knew we had to find a way to make it. Yeah, well, you certainly are one for a challenge, aren't you? You know, you've definitely um, demonstrated that. But what I really was um, interested to ask you is just how difficult is it to convert a, a screenplay, a silent screenplay, as something that would have been overly visual, and to, to compensate th that in outstanding audio experience instead? Well, the first thing you have to do is work with good writers. And we had Kenton Hall and Lance Roger Axe. Kenton is a brilliant Canadian writer who's worked with me on various projects. Uh, Lance is based in the US and they, and they are both brilliant, brilliant writers. So we kind of brought them together to sort of tag team it. So they had the screenplay and the screenplay basically breaks down the points of action visually. Right. And then their job within that was twofold. First of all, create the dialogue that would drive the action as originally scripted for the, uh, for the silent version. again to you But for now Your voice is near enough How I miss you And I miss your love And oh All the days that pass me by So slow All the emptiness inside me flows There's no 
female lead yeah. uh, of the piece um, in Lucy Balfour, you know, you couldn't do a 1920s melodrama uh, female lead today. Mm. So, you know, we, we always look at those angles where it's like absolutely respect the core material and screenplay, but what does need a slight tweak to make it, you know, more realistic feeling and engaging for the audience today you know yes. we're doing a 1920s piece in, in the 2020s it's almost 100 years yeah. apart so, so some of that needed beefing up and uh, you know we did a little bit of reworking around the core of uh, you know we had to reduce the car size for example to, to right. make it possible to make yeah. but we found clever ways and it still all works within the, the beats of the original so some some of it is production led some of it is about you know the time it was made versus the time now and some mm. of it is just using your imagination to paint in the blanks and this is still set in the 1920s then you've not kind of revamped it into the, the modern era it's still set in its original time absolutely it's still set where it should be because we had we had very early conversations about this you know uh, sherlock holmes has now fully come into the public domain this year and we debated whether to do sherlock holmes in london after midnight but i i thought about that one and i you know we had a conversation we pushed back because london after midnight hasn't been seen by any human being since at least 1965 if not before then wow I recently found one and um, he you know you're talking about you know this being nearly seven decades of someone waiting to experience London after midnight people who who are obsessed with it you know will have replayed what they think it is in their imagination yeah so what we want to try and do with the audio movie is first of all put it in your brain because it is audio it's going yeah. to trigger that w- wonderful cinema which is your imagination of course. You play it back and we will keep it as close as we can to what you think it should be. Um, and it, it, it will be as faithful as it can be. So still 1920s, mm. um, just, you know, done in a slightly more up-to-date modern way. Brilliant. Now, it's, it's kind of, I would imagine that it's been a bit niche in terms of its fan base um, during these past 50 odd years more or less um but are you are you already aware of uh, a large fan base for this or is this like you introducing this to a brand new generation it's always a bit of a mix when you do audio drama and audio movies it's like a venn diagram so yes you have uh, you have your classics fans who are aware of it and uh, you know i search every day uh, there are always two new people on twitter coming up saying i wish i could see london after midnight and i'm like ah okay. it's your, yeah. your lucky halloween um but then you know you have the audio drama community as well who are incredibly supportive of everyone's work and uh we you know we're also marketing you know it, it kind of works on every single level if you are one of those niche as you say london after midnight fans mm. it is absolutely if you're an audio drama fan you wait to hear the sound mix it is absolutely stunning uh, and that is definitely going to be up your alley but on top of that as well we can present the idea of a horror audio movie starring mr art malik yes. to the wider horror community as something brand new so it, it, it crosses over so many fan bases um we're kind of we're kind of spoiled really which yeah. is lovely 
it, it, it's amazing. It's such it, it's such um, a luxurious experience, I, I would say, for for your ears. And and yes, like touching on an Art Malik, such a wonderful voice, such a very British voice. And I think like when when you're um, marketing this to to the US market as well, they they do love these um, distinct British um, voices. How difficult was it to get Art, Art Malik, or easy, in fact, to get Art Malik on on board with this? Uh, absolutely straight down the middle. Um, what, what happened was we, we, we told another actor really, really wanted to do it. Uh, that didn't come off. And then we had a yes maybe from another actor uh, and their agent really wanted the actor to do it. And that didn't happen. And then we just drew up a short list. And art I had worked with six or seven years ago, uh, my first big multicast piece for Audible was uh, Murder on the Orient Express. Okay. Dropped in at the deep end and oh. with, the, with, the, with the birth of my first child just around the corner. Um, oh. And I, I remember our, he came in last. He did like the linking narration for that audio book. And he was, he was wonderful. He was charming in the studio. You know, he was scheduled for half day, four hours. And he ended up clearing all his material two and a half. And, you know, absolute sweetheart. And very, you know, lovely to talk to outside yes. the takes told very very funny stories and when we were putting this together i said right we don't have a lot of time in the studio we're potentially down to only having you know our detective burp for one day okay. so we need someone who's good fast easy to work with um and we had we had about a short list of five and we put inquiries out and i said i think we should ask our because mm. we'll, we'll see and within about an hour his agent was the first to respond and come back and says well could you send the script over like great okay script goes off and then within an hour of that he came back and he said yes he'd love to do it and it was just a case of sorting out the schedule and working out a few deal points basically and yes and he congratulated us he turned up it was the last day of recording and he pulled me he pulled me and Kenton to one side and he, he congratulated us and I'll treasure this. He said, uh, oh, well done. I, I mean, you know, I'm driving my agent's nuts at the minute because I've got a new hobby. I've discovered I've discovered model trains. Okay. And it's very, it's very difficult to get me out of the loft right now. So well done. <laughs> Lucy, there you are. I was thinking about taking the horses out. Excuse me, sir. In the foyer, waiting for you, an old friend from India. He wouldn't give me his name. An old friend? Couldn't be Colonel Yates. He's not due back for another month. Two months, in fact. But he does send his regards. <laughs> Burke! Well, you did call for someone from Scotland Yard. Ah, when did you? Uh, recently. Uh, first, uh, first day back on the job. Sir James, aren't you... Ah, I'm sorry. Lucy, this is... Edward Burke, ma'am. Scotland Yard. Old friend of my father's. And Miss Lucy, I know from Sir James's correspondence, his prose scarcely does you justice. Oh, in that case, I shall have to read these messives. Would you like to join us for tea? I'm uh, sure... I wish I could, but unfortunately, my business here is official. James? But he'd read the script, he loved it, and once he was in, um, that was it. And he, he just, again, second time in a row absolute breeze to work with everyone loved him i mean everyone loved everyone in the company the company's yeah. fantastic um and you know he just he just brought a whole new energy to today and love that man and ah oh, if you ever hear this we are definitely working together again 
Oh, wow. I look forward to what that will be, because I I think that he brings um, this calm voice of reason, you know, from what I've heard on on the trailer. I think he, he kind of balances the, the horror element out quite quite nicely. Um, and we, we are all aware of his voice as well. I've never really associated him with the horror genre. Um, so I don't know if he has done any, but it was it was interesting to to hear his voice within this work. No, I think he, you're right. I, I can't think of where he's done horror elsewhere. I mean, again, he is a bit of a sort of, he, he takes a project based on, you know, what he actually fancies. Yeah. You know? And, you know, he, you know, you know, he did uh, Julie the Crown, that was mm. his big break. You know, he's done a Bond movie, yeah. uh, one of the best, you know, Living Daylights, you know, True Lies, obviously, is the thing that, uh, you know, a lot of people are now known for. Of course. Um, but I, I, I think, think I'm casualty, so it's really good the way he also leaps between genres and he doesn't shy away from experimenting with anything, does he? No, not at all. And I think I think all if I I'm not going to put words in his mouth, but if I took a hunch from working with him, he just wants to pick the project so he's going to have a nice time and a bit of fun. Yeah, you know what I mean.
was to him and he read it it's like oh okay i get and he you know he wasn't even aware of the baggage that came with the role until we were sitting down and talking about oh, it. I think that's a good thing, isn't it? <laughs> Absolutely, because we want to kind of, as faithful as we want this to be, we want this to work as a new thing, as a, you know, is a, is partially a, a reimagining of what London After Midnight was, and this is a new thing. So he, he came in with all these ideas, working through the script that all made sense, and he was just, you know, completely unaware of this sort of mystique around the original film. So mm. I mean, we got the both worlds by the end it's lovely yeah i think it's very important to have that kind of um camaraderie and and passion when when you're handling um a project like this and trying to bring the the warmth over and in in the audio as well um but do you want to tell us a little bit about what what the plot actually is because it's a nice blend of kind of like taking that murder of the orient express it like murder mystery kind of themes and and mixing it with some other influence as well isn't it it is absolutely so the story begins with a tragedy befalling a, a wealthy family in london uh, and there the the estate is run by sir james hamlin who's played by dan starkey uh, some of your listeners mm-hmm. may know him as strax from doctor who yeah um, that that is wonderful with the role as well so it begins with uh, the family suffering uh, a tragedy which leads to financial difficulties which forces them to rent out part of the estate to a new lodger but on arrival it's quickly apparent that the new lodgers may or may not be vampires. This... this is impossible. Sir James, if you don't need me for anything else... What the hell is this? What's what, sir? Don't you give me that! What game are you playing here? Game? Uh, I can assure you, no one's... Look at the signature! Roger Hamilton. Roger Hamilton? Roger Hamilton? I don't understand. Do you know the gentleman? Hibbs. Roger Hamilton was the birth name of Roger Balfour, before he came into his title. Uh, I had no idea. Roger Balfour, who committed suicide in that very house five years ago to the day. Uh, sir, I... Lucy's father? It, it must be a coincidence. It must Coincidence. Be. Coincidence is the name weak men give to their ignorance. So as a result, uh, Sir James calls in a favour and Detective Burke, played by Art Malik, is calling from Scotland Yard to come and investigate his claims that there are now creatures of the night now living on his estate. Ooh, it's intriguing already. And I think I, I, I love as well the, the fact that, that it will be a little bit relatable, not necessarily the vampire stuff, but, you know, what this cost of living crisis where it's like, you know, re- renting out and all the rest of it, it's kind of got this relatable element for today's world. <laughs> I think that's probably just like, you know, when we're modernising a script, we yeah. keep, you know, uh, probably all, all those, you know, terrible things that are happening in the world are obviously part of your zeitgeist when you're writing and directing and and producing now you know things will be a product of their time but my ultimate hope is that if you dive into this it will literally just spirit you away for 60 minutes yeah uh, just take you on a little adventure a little bit of entertainment to get you out of the world for an hour and um 
hopefully, uh, you know, give you give you a give you quite a thrilling time and surprise you with what an audio movie can do. And I love the way that you've coined this phrase, audio movie. I wasn't really aware of that, but I think it, it fits really um, well with this. So I just wanted to, to ask you about things like sound effects or how overly dramatic um, an actor needs to be when, when they're doing audio. Um, what's the balance of that within this piece? Well, what we like to do at the start for the actors is when they receive the script, I co-directed this with uh, Kenton Hall. So we sat down and we went, you know, we'd done the development of the script. We knew what we wanted. So we gave the actors like a little cover letter from us as director saying, lovely to see you on the studio. Here are the rules for the day, schedule, etc. And this is what we want to get. So we would give them like a research list to pull on and say, your tone needs to match, you know, this, you know, we talked about things like Noel Coward. We talked Mm. about... Um, the, the the thing that always struck me when I received the first draft of the script was the, the mood of it, how oppressive it felt. Yeah. And that then when you're, when you're directing the actors, you can't necessarily have 60 minutes of really oppressive, unpleasant atmosphere. You've got to find the moments of lightness and humanity yes. because that in itself is a conflict actors can play, you know trying to bring those moments of joy and hope and life in the face of tragedy and uh, struggle. Um, So when we're in there, you know, the actors should be very, very well briefed because we've given them a sort of checklist of acting styles and pieces to to work on. And they come in, if they've done the work, and all of the cast were prepared, hurrah. (laughs) And they're just able to sort of, uh, you know, crank out. I mean, God bless Dan Starkey. He literally drops in... Uh, literally less than 12 hours before he was due to record day two because we, we lost another actor for, for James Hamlin and I know he's careless of us and you know we, we sent down the script and he had less than one night to prepare okay. and yeah he came, in day, he came in day two and he literally just smashed through it like one take two take one take two take it was brilliant um, and then so you know I'll be there yeah. Mark being there elevated it. Beth Air, I know, is, you know, he plays Lucy. She's 3,000% reliable. You know, everyone came in. So, you know, we'd laid the groundwork with that for the letter, um, explaining, look, this is what we want. This is the style you need to go for. And yeah. that, that takes, you know, if you're ever producing anything, I would thoroughly recommend that, you know, you send those letters to your company and your cast in advance so everyone understands this is, you know, the style we are going for. Yeah. And then from then from there, you obviously you're off to post-production. So in terms of, you know, how this differentiates um, from a radio play, mm. um, a radio play, you know, something you listen to on Radio 4 tends to be recorded, usually, as I the caveat there before anyway, ex-BBC, colleagues tell me off <laughs> usually with the caveat that it's kind of recorded live yeah so they, they you know they work around microphones they're performing you know it's like recorded theater and you get the actors bouncing off each other and stuff like that with this we sort of move from audio drama tends to be like everything is kind of built artificially so yeah. you know, actors do their lines the sound effects are added later BBC can actually play them in live, for example, for the actors to react to. But you are artificially constructing in an audio drama that story almost on every single level.
say have live sound effects or foley and it would be dropped in digitally later mm-hmm. audio movies is now like the next level so we, we take those techniques from audio drama but what we are now playing with with um things like dolby atmos and dolby is making a massive play right now to be the new uh gold standard for audio drama mm. um and sound design is we are playing with a movie level style mixing so the sound design in uh, london after midnight has been mixed like it is a feature film the placement the the movement the you know it works in three dimensions yeah. you know in the Dolby Atmos version the thunderstorm is actually above your head oh wow yeah. so it's fully uh, immersive experience you're providing uh, the listener with absolutely I mean you use three act structure to write the script just like a, a feature film and you know we, we take all the we take all the rules of writing it but we're just not putting it in front of cameras so when you when you listen when it goes uh, when it's alive and it's available, we'll be allowed to release the closest to the Dolby Atmos mix, which will be a very deep immersive binaural version, and that will give you like the feel of what the Dolby Atmos movie version would be. Um, yeah, so slap your headphones on, turn out the lights. Yeah. Oh wow! So this is actually dropping the listener right into the action where you'll actually feel part of it. I, I guess it's a very sensory experience in that case then, which is perfect for a horror movie. Exactly. We we are hope we, we've had a conversation about whether we should actually do a a, a theatre presentation of it in a in a in a Dolby cinema and mm. just have the audience sit there like they are watching a film. Sure. And okay. play, play through the through the Dolby mix. So uh, that conversation is being had. But yes, it's it's a new way of literally enjoying audio drama. If you do it serialized, yes, it's an audio drama. But we we're doing this very much as a it's a one off audio movie. Sit down, get your popcorn out, and <laughs> put your headphones in. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so I, I can see all the originality of this. You're, you're reimagining, you're, you're bringing London After Midnight silent movie back to life um, in another guise. But has it given you um, any inkling that maybe you would like to create something more visual um, around this now as well, considering that you do have that kind of theatre background? Do you want to keep this just as audio? Well, good question. We, you know, we, I'm always happy to see, you know, my first piece moved from theatre to audio, so maybe, maybe the logical progression is to move from audio to theatre. But mm. yes, um, Lance has had some suggestions what he might do with this beyond the, the audio movie mm. that would be the visual media. Um, of course, there are, there are always possibilities, always possibilities, because once we got this version out, then um, we are also as well officially the first the first ever remake of London After Midnight as oh, well. Wow. So, Congratulations. Uh, thank you. And I'm sure we will not be the last, but it'll be interesting to see what comes after us. And, and also, this is the thing. Amazingly, like a week and a half ago, there's a toy company called... Um, NECA, and they just announced a beaver hat action figure. Oh, wow. So, okay. <laughs> so I definitely did not order expensive action figures. This is my other half is listening. I definitely did not order it. But, you know, it, it could become, 
you know, you're right. We, we, we're open to that and we're open to exploring whether, you know, can it become a, like a proper feature film? Yeah. Uh, can it become, you know, a stage play? Can it become a comic book? So those conversations are always there. And, you know, when it comes to, I think, the future of audio drama, we need to be thinking more like that in general. Yeah, well, I think when time is is short, people enjoy something that they can listen to um, whilst doing other things. But it sounds like this is one of these things where you will listen to it more than once and you'll get something different from, from every listening. Um, you're also getting this out on vinyl, aren't you? Is that exclusive or is it going to be standard? Uh, well, it's a big experiment on our part, but, you know, I'm the first, again, the first person in line to buy a Christopher Eccleston Doctor Who vinyl set. Okay. But, uh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't have a player. Um, so when we were looking at this, it's like it will be limited to 301 copies worldwide. Right. Um, so it's going to be a strictly limited collection because, and also, we, we, you know, we, we launched a vinyl, we got complaints we weren't doing CDs. So mm. we, put the, we put the CDs on sale. People want it on compact disc. Wow. Uh, for, for younger listeners, please ask your parents. <laughs> um, so, so, yeah, but the, the part of it is as well, it's like this whole part of the thinking is that, you know, it, we, we are selling the audio movie version. It will also be released as a podcast carrying commercials, which will break it up, etc. Okay. And, and we can't do the immersive mix version as a podcast. You know, that would just sound like a standard audio drama sure. so you know we, we the, the the digital version is available there for sale so you get the proper experiences if it were but there's something about digital and purchasing digital i understand it as a collector you also want something tangible as well so yeah. the chance to just offer 351 fans horror fans london after midnight fans audio fans the chance just being a club of 351 where you've got something like a beautiful gatefold final collector's edition for you to keep forever and you can put it on your shelf and display it or however you, you know you know there's something magical about that from a collector's point of view that there'll be something you know special and tangible to come out of it that you can keep um and it's there you can hold it you can touch it and that's where i think um yeah that's the reason why i think physical media will never die and what I think as well is it's it's playing into the um, the almost romanticism of the fact that the original was lost. Um, so because that that has been lost, I think people fans will be keen more than ever to actually have something of this to to hold on to this time around. If that makes sense, I I, I can imagine it lending itself well. I, I kind of joke on Twitter about this a lot that you know say officially. And I, I don't believe there is not a copy out there because mm. it's, you know, there is a lot of missing material that people who there are people who collect missing media and yeah. they sit on it and it's you know I mean they, they, they keep it to themselves in fact but officially no one in the world right now has a copy of London After Midnight anywhere on their shelves but you know by the end of this year 351 people can yeah. Um, right, it's it's playing on that uh, that mystique. And we've got um, we've got some program notes from Dick Fiddy, who is the television consultant and the man who runs Missing You Believe Wiped at the uh, BFI, and he's written us a uh, little kind of mini half page article about the myth of missing media, which we'll be putting into the CDs and the vinyl, and. Uh, 
you know, people are actually asking us now about a script book as well. So we could, we could potentially be releasing that in due course as well. So it's 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 crazy. It's bonkers, but you're right, absolutely right. It's, it's that myth of the thing you can't have. Yeah. Now it's there, you know. That elusive quality. And you're listening to the Sunday Tea Show right here on 96.9 All FM. We are just at the end of the first hour. There will be more from me with my chat with a fantastic audio producer, Jack Bowman. And we're discussing London After Midnight and all that's coming up for you after a little word from our sponsors. Welcome back to the second hour of the Sunday Tea Show right here on 96.9 All FM on your radio, allfm.org, wherever you are in the world, online. And as you may have heard, we are now officially on DAB as well, so there is no reason not to listen to us. I am in conversation right now with a fantastic audio producer, Jack Bowman. We are chatting to him about his latest audio drama which is London After Midnight. Very spooky. If you get the right version, there is many versions of it. It's due to be released on October the 23rd. There's many different versions of it. If you get the binaural version, you immerse yourself into the experience. Scare yourself senseless. Um, So it's well worth a listen, and you can find that on Bandcamp. So you'll hear more of my interview with Jack after a track. This one he's chosen, and it's David Bowie and Changes. waiting for and my time was running wild a million dead end streets and every time I thought I got it made it seemed the taste was not so sweet so I turned myself to face me but I've never caught a glimpse how the others must see they are I'm much too fast to take that test Ch-ch-ch-changes Turn and face the strange changes Don't wanna be a richer man Turn and face the strange changes It's gonna have to be a different man Time may change me Sides, but never leave the stream of warm and permanent sand So the days float through my eyes But still the days seem the same And these children that you spit on as they Try to change their worlds Are immune to your consultations They're quite aware of what they're going through Changes Turn and face the strange Changes Don't tell them to grow up and out of it Turn and face the strange Changes Where's your shame? 
connected to, to that original production still being alive you know whether it's someone that was I don't know in behind the scenes or is anyone actually still alive from, from that original time or have you had any chats with their um, families or anything say no not at all um, Lon Chaney's relatives were working on a comic book adaptation of it um, but that doesn't seem to have happened, and I, I don't know why. But I, I can tell you, we were absolutely thrilled to find out, uh, Lance and I, we've been working with a gentleman called Mike Grell, who some of your comic book fans out there would know mm. as the uh, writer of things like Green Lantern, Warlord, John Sable, Freelance. And we're working on an adaptation of a comic book he wrote in the 1990s called uh, Shaman's Tears, which we're trying to get funded everything is locked in we've got cast we've got it's, it's a brilliant piece native american superhero wow. um in terms of you know uh, it's just just a brilliant comic book and we sent a copy to uh, to mike to have a listen and he emailed back and he said oh this is brilliant this 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 absolutely holds up to the original and i went well, sorry what what do you mean he said yeah yeah no i saw the original on television when i was a kid went, oh wow <laughs> yeah. yeah right now yeah, so it's like right now he is. We have at least one person who's heard our version who actually saw the nineteen twenty seven version before it disappeared forever. Okay. So um, that's one. If there's more out there, please get in touch. I'd love to see how you think it compares. Well, it's great because it, it almost it, it there it is, kind of fully formed in a way, but in another way, it's totally yours, isn't it? Just because it's got this such um, uh, elusive background now i saw a few stills on youtube when i knew that was going to speak to you i, I had a little um look around and and what kind of struck me about that which the first thing was you know wow how do you translate this into um an audio movie um but i was also kind of intrigued by the kind of um the gothic creepiness but also the the humor so it's like as you said the the, the light and shade um how difficult was that to create to bring that element uh, across in audio? Well, it, the interesting thing was, so I'm, I'm, I'm British, Cana uh, Kenton is Canadian, and Lance is American, and Lance was the person to actually fight for keeping as much Englishness in the script oh. as possible. So, 
Um, he was the one always looking about, you know, he knows his English Gothic horror incredibly well. So he was the one pushing it, seeding it through the script. And, um, you know, Kenton was, you know, doing incredibly clever things like configuring, you know, their needs I needed. So it just ended up being one of those things where every, everything was firing on all cylinders and it, at last the American producer was fighting for the English aspect of it. Yeah. Um, in terms of the gothic and that kind of stuff. Because, you know, the original movie is, is actually very, very, you know, would have been very, very American. Yeah.
Okay, that's interesting. So, yeah. you know, it's an American movie, would have had an American, you know, primary in an American cast, but of course, being a silent movie, it wouldn't have mattered. You wouldn't yeah. know. No so, accents. you know, the, the irony is, like, nearly 100 years later, it's, it's the American producer fighting to keep this as, as British as possible. Um, and, yeah, that kind of, uh, you know, just, just having different people who are very creative, very clever, keeping, you know, keeping their eye on things and, and speaking up and saying, don't lose this, don't, you know, don't lose that. Mm. Um, just, you know, that, that's how you get the best work. I mean, I genuinely... You know, pe- people are starting to hear it now and they love it. And they keep saying, well done, Jack. And it's like, no, well done, team. It's, it's been a phenomenal collaboration from, from top to bottom, from, you know, studio, townhouse, yeah. to the cast, to the company, to uh, our sound designer, Rory, who is in Canada, to Lance and Kenton working that script, and, you know, Kenton co-directing with me. And, um, yeah, everyone has literally fought for it to be the best possible thing it can be it's, it's just been gloriously wonderful well it sounds like your passion was immediately contagious so so that really helps and i think that the other thing that helps is you sound like someone that's genuinely a fan um of of various pieces of media and stuff so it's, it's you're you're actually able to create that essence of creating new fans for this i i hope so i mean Thing, the way my brain works, and I say this in many interviews, is like I, I kind of see sound. If you're pitching me an audio drama, the ones that will I know will work are the ones that somehow start sparking me off. And I, I run through this whole thing where I suddenly imagine myself listening to the finished finished piece. Okay. I go, right. Okay. I, I know this. This is the one that will work. So, you know, I, I want there to be good audio drama out there in the sure. world. I want there to be better quality uh, pieces for people to get engaged with. And I always say people can learn uh, can learn from me if they want to. Um, because everything I've learned, I've, self, you know, I've, I've spoken to people who have, who have mentored or taught or advised, you know, mm. and they're always learning. And we might be at a point now where, you know, the people who can make really, really, really good audio fiction stories technology might now finally be there with Dolby Atmos and I think we might be on the cusp of seeing some extraordinary pieces get made and if there are other people like you know I was when I was five or six listening to Journey into Space who listen to that mm. and they get engaged through that um, well gosh what will we see in 40 <laughs> years time <laughs> yeah it's, it's incredible but from, from the inception of your idea to reimagine this and turn it into an audio movie how long did that process actually take from from your initial idea to to get everything underground uh it was the idea was conceived when i, I had covid i was sick in bed oh wow uh, oh. Yeah, it was, it was like a week off from Moonbug. Um, and that's when the idea happened. So I would say it took about two months to write the script because we wanted to get the script in before the writer's strike started. Okay. Um, and then from there, it was uh, probably about two, another two months for pre-production. We recorded in very early July and we literally wrapped it in terms of sound design about 15 days ago so you're looking from february until 
Yeah, it was the last day of September, so less than seven months from start to finish. Well done, lucky seven, and just in time for, for Halloween. So is, is this actually being released bang on Halloween, or is it been released beforehand? A little bit before. So if you go to londonaftermidnight.co.uk, uh, that is a Bandcamp store where you can purchase the vinyl, you can purchase the CDs, or you can get the, uh, the Dolby Digital download. It will go out on the 25th of October. Okay. So just to give you a little bit of a run into Halloween, yeah. because there's a couple of other things happening that week as well. Uh, for example, the 30th of October is World Audio Fiction Day. Really? So okay. I can, so I can imagine loads of people are going to start firing out their audio dramas on the 30th. Yeah. And obviously, 31st is Halloween, so we're giving people a five-day head start with London After Midnight. So by the time those two days roll around, people will have heard it. Hopefully, they'll be excited and we can shout from the rooftops that, you know, part of those two wonderful days this year, London After Midnight is back. Oh, Wow. Are you going to have a big party in, in London then or or something, like a premiere party or something? If we get that premiere, it will be in London. It will be at 12.01 in the morning and yes, there will be a party <laughs> afterwards. But we're still in talks about that. So, um, fingers crossed. But yeah, londonaftermidnight.co.uk is the place where you'll be able to get yourself a copy. And then a little bit later on in the year, there will be a, a episodic podcast version released through the Fable of Folly Network. Um, and that will be, it'll be all split up and it'll, you know, it'll be the stereo version, which will sound lovely. And it's a great network supporting audio fiction. But if you want to get your own copy, that really lovely binaural mix, well, that's the place to go. Yeah, and I think the whole limited edition aspects of this and the fact that the first time you can get your hands on something physical with this will will do really well. And you've got some wonderful artwork as well, haven't you? Like an actual cinema poster. So I think that that, it really has the the essence of the the olden style movie with that as well. It does. I mean, the the Beaver Hat Man, you know, the man in Beaver Hat Man, well, million horror, horror fans just want to take away my club card. Um, the, the man in the beaver hat is a phenomenal icon. Yes. Cinema. Even if you don't know the film, you know, the Babadook very directly references the, the man with the beaver hat. Um, the, uh, the black phone has homages to the man of the black hat in the costume design of its you know horror villain um so it, it's it's there you know it, it's like one of those things that has echoed you know i've you know if you google hard enough you will find pictures of uh, gene simmons from kiss right. like lon chaney <laughs> with the you know, with the bat wings um, yeah. So, you know, it, it's one of those things that every 20 or 30 years, the iconography comes back. Uh, it's pretty, pretty distinctive, um, you know, and that, that was part of the, the massive success of the original movie. It was, you know, a massive blockbuster in its time. It grossed over a million dollars in oh, 1927. Gosh, and, and how much would that have been worth in, in those days' money as well? It's very strong exactly, then. Yes. It, archetypal visuals I think it's kind of it's within everyone's psyche so it's great that you've kind of um, tapped into that again and 2023 has actually already been an amazing year for you in, in terms of all the different projects that you've 
been in, involved with. Um, so what's next for you? Do you plan on releasing more audio movies or do you just want to bathe in what you've created with this? Uh, yeah, well, no, I've always got to keep moving forward because it takes a long time in audio to get everything greenlit. We, we, we do have issues with like uh, monetization and... Uh, here we go. Now they're rapid horrid. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it, it's very difficult to get your, um, uh, get your money back with audio drama. And, um, you know, it's, it is a bit of an uphill battle, which makes people very nervous about green lighting anything. Mm. So we've had, so at a minute, we've still got Mrs. Dalloway to come out, um, which is with the fam- uh, famous writers dramatic company. Uh, the Bean Juice pilot, we're still waiting to see if um, they, you know, that will go to series. Um, Charmin's Tears, like I say, we, we're all ready to pull the trigger on that and make it happen. Uh, Kenton and I have developed a new audio series, which is uh, Spy-Fi, um, okay. which, which, which a lot of people are very excited about, so we're trying to find a route to get that made. Uh, also, we made a series during the pandemic called Unsinkable with uh, Brian Cox, uh, from Succession and John Malkovich, Tommy Brady Sangster and um, Natalie Emanuel, which is a World War II uh, naval thriller based on true events, based around the story of the San Dimitrio. And I'm hearing that should come out soon. That's been produced over in LA. Wow. So there, there, are, there, there are things ahead. Um, it's just at a minute I've got no idea where anything's going to land, but that's just the way this life works, basically. It's all very exciting. You're there working with with the greats. And I just want to quickly ask you this one thing. I've heard that that you are an accidental New York um, best-selling New York Times best-selling writer. Do you want to just like quickly tell us what what that's about? I feel as if you fall into everything accidentally and it all works out perfectly. Uh, yeah, my, my, my other half wouldn't agree with that, but <laughs> what, what happened was I got asked in 2018 if I would co-script an audio drama uh, instalment of a uh, New York Times best-selling book range called Expeditionary Force, and basically the idea was this would bridge the gap between book seven and book eight. Uh, they they're phenomenally popular audio books written by Craig Allison, got okay. a huge, huge fan base. And the idea was it was switched from audio book to audio drama and back to audio book, just to surprise the fans. Mm. And I went, yeah, sure, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll do that. So we, we, we spent a long time getting that right. We got it into production. It was produced very early 2019 in May. And of course, what we hadn't worked out quite logically is that if all the books as audio books have been New York Times bestsellers mm. and, out, and out it comes and then suddenly we're in the New York Times bestselling charts it was like oh okay um, so that's nice uh, so nice we, we bonus, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly it just hadn't occurred to us that if we released the next instalment it would roll along because all the previous books have been New York Times bestsellers so that's why it was claimed it's by accident we, you know I just took the job Try and make the best possible expeditionary force uh, audio multicast story drama that we could. Yeah. And, you know, 50% of the fans hate it, 50% love it. 
and I, 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 I think that's kind of oh, an idea that's, theory, yeah. so. You need to so. have strong opinions, don't you? It's You've got to always have strong opinions on both sides to know that something is, is worth its salt. <laughs> well, that's the thing, and also as well as a change of format as well, which I didn't see coming. So they weren't, you know, like suddenly they were going from the, the comfort of, you know, R.C. Bray's beautiful uh, narration that he does. So God, I, I lifted that man's voice for... 177 hours mm. heading into scripting the show um and you know some people liked the purity of the audiobook form some people got on board with them doing something different um and you know changes creatively were made to make it work as an audio drama when you make changes um you can only again like with london after midnight you can only try and be as faithful as you can and justify them to be the right changes and, you know, I, I'm quite prepared that there will be 20% of the people out there who will listen to what we've done and think that, you know, what we've done in London after midnight is horrible, terrible. Mm. But, you know, it's, and that's it. It's just the nature of, it's just the nature of adaptation and working in, you know, with, with titles and stories that people know or they think they know. And you, all you have to do as a producer, writer, director at the time is you just have to make the decisions that make sense in that moment. Of course. There's, there's, there's no other no other logic um, there other than this made sense at the time. Well, it's like life itself. It's just life itself evolving, you know, so, so people have to um, get over that. Um, I've got one other question for you. It's kind of on this, this horror genre in a sense, but it... It's more about the fact that, that I've read that you live near um, Elstree Studios and I'm just wondering, do you ever feel that you are kind of channeling into the essence of the greats of, of British film and TV as you, you, you're walking where they have walked? Do you ever feel as if they're, they're around? <laughs> oh, God, every, yes, every, 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 every single day. I mean, like, when we came to first see, see the flat here, drove around the corner and my other half she's not particularly uh au fait with you know the difference between you know any any science fiction film and okay. we drove around the roundabout and said oh this is this these are the elstree film studios there was a very famous film made here once I, literally that moment we drove and we stopped at the tra- uh, the um several crossing and 20 people dressed as stormtroopers walked across the road, <laughs> walked across the road. <laughs> And she went, Star Trek. Wow. And I went, close enough. So, yeah, I mean, like, Indiana Jones was done here. And I, I you know, and I, you know, even um, the Avengers, with Stephen Peel, if oh. I'm listening. Yeah, that, that was made here. You know, it was, uh, there's, so, there's so much history in these studios. George Lucas and uh, Steve Spielberg and, you know, Alfred Hitchcock and stuff like that. So, yes, I mean, the, the town itself, Borenwood, does remind you of that. Okay. But it's it's really lovely just to take stock sometimes that the, as I've been told, and maybe your listeners will correct me and say it's wrong, but I believe that the local Tesco's Express is built on the footprint of the studio George Lucas built to make all his movies from Empire Strikes Back onwards. Really? Um, so... Oh, that's what I've been told. And sometimes I just feel like, yeah, you know, was did the attack walk here? You know, did Mark <laughs> Hamill pass through the the, the, the freezer aisle where the peas are <laughs> in, in a different time? So, yeah, and you know, the Muppets the Muppets originated here. 
you know, and you know, if you watch these, the the second Muppets movie, the Great I think it's the Great Caper. You know, they they have a chase scene through the streets of Elstree, and they go, you know, some of those pubs still exist that are wow. around. So, you know, um, so it's it's one of those places where I, I you know I, I feel the history around it, and you know, it's starting to have a bit of a revival for that again. You know, Sky have just built. 14 new sound stages at the other end of my road that's amazing the the wicked movie is in shooting right now on 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 one of the sites and the other half opens soon it will open up to the public which would be great so and you know the crown is was just filmed over there you know so it's um yeah i'm always very very conscious of the fact there's a lot of great cinematic history around me and a lot of those things have been influences on my work you know Mm. indiana jones the avengers um star wars etc so yeah they i hope i hope you know ghost of patrick mcnee is with me Um, (laughs) you're going from bowler hat to beaver hat you'll you'll be trying them all on that is one of the influences behind what we're trying to do with the, the spy fire series we've been developing is um have, have a bit of fun with with those tropes and stuff so yeah it's uh it's you know if you just stop and pause you realize how much you know sort of hollywood greatness used to be a Jerry Hansen used to film up the road the studios oh. and now be demolished UFO used to be made uh, down the road and you know stuff like that it's like you know these tiny little pockets of um, pop culture from days gone by all happened in this area which is extraordinary gosh just the perfect place for for you to live Jack and I just think that you're, you're tapping into everything reality and fiction are like blurred lines where, where you are and it just it's uh, it's reflected in, in everything you do it's, it's, it's been great to speak to you today do you want to Thank quickly um, tell us again how do we get our hands on London After Midnight Oh, nobody does. It doesn't exist. It's lost. Uh, uh, if you visit londonaftermidnight.co.uk, londonaftermidnight.co.uk, 351 copies, strictly limited, available now, CD or vinyl, digital version also available, binaural mix, and it releases 25th of October. And I can't wait for people to finally experience London After Midnight. Yeah, I can't wait to hear it too. And you've got to sign them as well because you're like the first person that <laughs> brought this back. So make sure one or two are limited edition and, the, and that you sign them, I think. <laughs> you know what? That's bizarre because like we were, a friend of mine in the States said he would buy a CD copy if I autographed it. And I just yeah. went to Kenton and said, someone wants me to autograph London After Midnight. Why? <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right. I'm listening. Like the universe tells you something twice within a day, it's worth listening to. Yes. Wherever that is. <laughs> That's where the money is. <laughs> good, good, good luck with that, and happy Halloween. Thank you so much. Thank you. You too. Yeah. Happy spooky season. <laughs> Take care. Take care. Bye bye. My eyes beheld an eerie sight For my monster from his slab began to rise And suddenly, to my surprise He did the mash, 
He did the monster mash. The monster mash. It was a graveyard smash. He did the mash. It caught on in a flash. He did the mash. He did the monster mash. From my laboratory in the castle east to the master bedroom where the vampires peace. The ghouls all came from their humble abode to get a jolt from my electrode. They did the mash. They did the monster mash. The monster mash. It was a graveyard smash. They did the mash. It caught on in a flash. They did the mash. They did the monster mash. The zombies were having fun. The party had just begun. The guests included Wolfman, Dracula, and his son. The scene was rocking, all were digging the sounds. Igor on chains, backed by his baying hounds. The coffin bangers were about to arrive with their vocal group, the Crypt Kicker Five. They played the mash. They played the monster mash. The monster mash. It was a graveyard smash. They played the mash. It caught on in a flash. They played the mash. They played the monster mash. Out from his coffin, Rack's voice did ring. Seemed he was troubled by just one thing. Opened the lid and shook his fist and said, Whatever happened to my Transylvania twist? It's now the mash. It's now the monster mash. The monster mash. And it's a graveyard smash. It's now the mash. It's caught on in a flash. It's now the mash. It's now the monster mash. Now everything's cool, Drax's a part of the band And my Monster Mash is the hit of the land For you, the living, this mash was meant to When you get to my door, tell them what it said Then you can mash Then you can Monster Mash The Monster Mash And do my graveyard smash Then you can mash You'll catch on in a flash Then you can mash Then you can Monster Mash Whatever happened to my Transylvanian twist? <laughs> you are listening to the Sunday Tea Show right here on 96.9 All FM on your radio, allfm.org, wherever you are in the world, online. And we are even, dear listener, on DAB. Absolutely no excuses for not listening to us. And I want to say a big thank you to the fantastic Jack Bowman, audio producer, for being my special guest today. It was a real privilege to chat to him. He's let me know that he's listening in and... He's had a very busy week. He's actually been at BBC Radio London Studios. I wish that we could have got him into the All FM Studios, but we did have a long, in-depth chat. I really enjoyed it. And someone asked me to play the um, London After Midnight trailer again, so I will happily do that. And just to remind you as well that from October the 25th, so this week coming, you can get your ears around London After Midnight. You really don't feel it, do you? Feel what? The air of disquiet. Like we're being watched. Audio Marvels, Pocket Universe Productions, and Monkey Basket Entertainment present... Lucy, this is... Edward Berkman, Scotland Yard. Art Malik, in a full cast audio production of... 
Looks like an undertaker. It's that damned beaver hat. I've never seen him without it. London after midnight. <laughs> you, you get out of here! <laughs> Damn you! Please try not to scream. Visit www.audiomarvels.com for more information. One way or another, this comes to an end. Tonight. Tonight.